Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Michael Jans, and I'm with the Alberta Mentoring Partnership. We're just going to give uh, a minute here as uh, folks join the conversation. All right, so I see people coming into the chat. Um, excellent, and I see some people in attendance. So good afternoon. Um, my name is Michael Jans. I'm the Partnership Engagement Manager with the Alberta Mentoring Partnership. It's my privilege to uh, be one of the staff here, along with Andrew Harris, who's right next to me, uh, who has the, uh, we have the honor of helping pull together different very, uh, webinars and professional development opportunities on topics of interest to our youth mentoring programs, our youth mentoring initiatives, uh, different things happening in the child and youth serving ecosystem across Canada that might be of interest to our program. And uh, our goal is always to help expand and enhance mentoring opportunities across Canada. So I'll draw your attention to our website, albertamentors.ca. If you aren't already, please sign up for our newsletter. It's the best way to learn about upcoming events, upcoming webinars, upcoming tools. You can just uh, find through the drop-down menu there. There's a, a page that uh, will help you subscribe to our mailing list. If you are a mentoring program or a school and you are not currently a partner of the Alberta Mentoring Partnership, please consider becoming a partner. It's a uh, it's free, uh, and we only ask that you uh, contribute in terms of uh, in-kind uh, contributions to committees, resource development, sharing your stories, et cetera. So there's many perks, including our very popular online mentor training. We've had over 11,000 young people go through this training in Alberta. Uh, it's a one hour online training that you can sign up through uh, uh, through Moodle. You can do it on your phone or computer and it's all free and available. So please take a moment after the webinar to browse albertamentors.ca and learn more about what we have to offer. Uh, so today for the webinar with David French, we're excited to uh, have it uh, uh, have it available to you, but we also want to engage you in this process. So if you would like to, in your GoToWebinar tool, there is a uh, chat box. So I encourage you to fill in any questions to the chat box. Um, once David's finished the presentation, we will uh, we'll have an opportunity for you to ask them. So it'll be uh, great for uh, uh, great for David to hear from you. If, uh, if you don't have questions at the time, we'll have some contact information afterwards as well. We also want to share with you um, this wonderful infographic that David provided from, um, it's the Homelessness Hub uh, infographic. We'll attach it, uh, it's in the handouts, CC handouts one of five. So if you want to grab that, download it, take a look at it, print it out, share it with your colleagues, it'll help them get a sense of how we are all involved in this work together. So uh, the chat, background I think we're good to go. good to go all right so uh, I'll give you a bit of a preamble and then we'll hand over to David so uh, welcome to this afternoon's webinar on mentoring as an early intervention a proactive approach to youth homelessness with David French who's director of policy and planning for a way home and I'll let you know that David also is intimately involved in the mentoring movement because he himself is a former employee of uh, Boys and Girls Club Big Brothers Big Sisters so he he knows very well about what we do and uh, uh, the initiatives on the ground. So did you know that your youth mentoring program actually acts as a protective factor against youth homelessness? In addition to the multitude of other positive academic and social outcomes that a quality mentoring relationship provides, the role of a mentor in growing natural supports and resilience in a young person's life was identified as an early uh, intervention in the recently released Roadmap for the Prevention of Youth Homelessness. So we have David French here today, the Director of Policy and Planning with Away Home Canada, to learn more 
and to share more about how mentoring contributes to a proactive approach to preventing and ending youth homelessness, how common outcomes can be valuable in helping all of us uh, advance our work and the roadmap. So I encourage you to learn more about the roadmap. We'll provide a link to it and we'll hear more from David. So David, over to you. Thanks so much, Andrew and Michael. This is, I am, yeah, excited to be here and excited to engage in this conversation and bring folks up to speed on the work that we're doing through Away Home Canada and the Homeless Hub. And, you know, as, as Michael alluded to, it goes a little way, ways back, but part of my career started with respect to the work that was happening with Big Brothers Big Sisters Edmonton. And I had a unique role in helping establish a online mentoring program through a through a partner program called Sinus 2010. And I spent three glorious years with the organization. And, and then interestingly, interestingly enough, I went on from Big Brothers Big Sisters to the Alberta government. And one of the responsibilities I had within the branch was help birth the Alberta Mentoring Partnership. And so, so I feel like I'm back at home. And so, so thank, thank you for welcoming me back. Yeah, I'm here to talk about the opportunities and the areas of alignment that exist with respect to not only the roadmap for the prevention of youth homelessness, but overall the factors that and the missed intersections possibly that we've, we continue to talk about with respect to young people who find themselves homeless. The roadmap, which Michael alluded to, was released in November of 2018, and it was a culmination of a series of pieces of work that happened to really give us the confidence level to establish and put out a what it reads as as a social policy framework and so to get to this place we needed to first establish a new direction a framework for homeless prevention so that is this broad framework for homeless prevention including adults young people families victims of domestic violence and so it created this social structure that we needed to build the youth prevention framework underneath and then we next had this opportunity to engage with young people across Canada and and it was a bit of a pause as a former policymaker and bureaucrat I I always aim to honor the voices of young people within any pieces of policy that I wrote and so in order to make sure that we were saying and articulating the right things we engaged with young people across Canada on what would it have taken to have either prevented your homeless experience or ended your homeless experience and so that the content really resonated out of that what would it take document and and in, in lots of ways the Coles notes version of that what would it take document was we're just waiting too long we're waiting too long to intervene with young people who are at risk of homelessness or who find themselves homeless and the next building block to the roadmap was an opportunity we had with the Welsh government and the Wales Centre for Public Policy and that we were engaged in, in uh, a contract to provide them with the confidence and the policy structure for moving really, for, really far upstream around homeless prevention. Little known fact, Wales is a leader around homeless prevention, but they wanted to be a clear leader. And so, so the content of the international evidence we, we unpacked from this review really galvanized our thinking within the roadmap. Now we didn't we didn't come upon this idea that we need to prevent youth homelessness alone. 
the National Youth Survey, which was first conducted in 2016, and the second one was conducted in 2019, and we're just crunching that data now, really created this overall picture for us of who these young people are. Created a picture that allowed us to think differently about the missed intersections that happened for each young person and why they experienced homelessness in lots of ways as a and when you're in when you're in government looking to develop and influence transformational policy they ask these questions who are these young people who are they why are they homeless and we have a much better answer for that because of the without a home national survey and again the the 2019 survey is coming shortly and it will not only embed and and, and reinforce the data that came out of the 2016 survey but again provide us with another clearer picture of who does who these young people are and so Within all of this, what I'm what I'm going to drive towards and sort of hope to to paint this picture for you is is where you fit in as an as organizations delivering in school mentoring or traditional mentoring programs. Why your work is so important. I know it when I was back in the in the hot seat, matching young people with mentors and doing the work and the interviews and the screening and all those things. Sometimes I thought about what's the bigger picture here. What am I working towards? And in lots of ways, you're working towards homeless prevention. And I'm going to tell you why. So the data, this, what I've got here in this slide is, is a representation from federal point-in-time count data. And so the federal point-in-time count data not only reinforces what we heard in the first Without a Home National Youth Survey, what we're hearing from communities is that the percentage of young people who first experience, or the percentage of individuals who first experience homelessness, experience it at under the age of 25. So that, again, is reinforcing this need for us to think differently about moving upstream. How do we, how do we get to the top of the river and stop young people from being thrown in versus pulling them out at the bottom of the river? And so, again, these data points and all of these pieces of work are leading us to these conclusions. We're waiting too long. We know that if young people experience homelessness, they experience health, safety, mental health, and well-being issues. There are young people across the continuum that are more likely to experience homelessness than others. Indigenous young people, LGBTQ2S young people, newcomer youth. These are also young people that are probably represented within your client and your casework data as requiring support or needing enhanced support within schools. We're also learning that that to rely on just an emergency response to youth homelessness doesn't do it. You know, we've had youth shelters in, in Alberta for, for a very long time, and we alone can't rely on them to end youth homelessness. We can't rely on temporary housing to end youth homelessness. We know that there are public systems that are failing to prevent youth homelessness, failing to capture those young people and assess those young people to determine their risk of homelessness. And what we learned overwhelmingly is that young people, especially young people who we interviewed who had experienced homelessness, could, could unpack their experience of homelessness and drop back to that first moment they experienced homelessness and they could have exact, told you exactly what could have prevented that from happening. So young people do have the solutions. And so our response right now, and it's changing across Canada and this landscape around shifted policy and shifted responses changing. 
for the most part, we're relying on this emergency response, hoping, crossing our fingers, that this a level of prevention at the front end and a level of housing and supports can sort of be the, the, the finger in the hole that of the dam that's leaking. Um, but what we need to get to is a re-emphasize and a refocus on prevention and a collection of partners like yourselves to think differently about the work that's happening, a retuned emergency response, and increased housing and supports. We need to think of, and traditionally, youth shelters in Alberta and across Canada were designed, originally designed for short-term temporary stays for young people. Stabilize them, move them back home, move them back out to housing. Unfortunately, what's happened is that because of a lack of housing and supports, shelters have become housing for young people and that's insufficient. And so we need to think about broadening that housing continuum. And so as we think about this, and as you think about your work, we need to think about prevention as a big fusion policy issue in that there are a number of areas across government, whether that be municipal, provincial or federal, that play a role in responding to youth homelessness. That without a home data that I spoke to earlier, provides that really clear illustration of who should be engaged. There's data and, and I'll, I'll, I'll share that with Michael to share out with, with, the, with attendees as well. That data could tell you exactly the young people who were diagnosed with a learning disability or mental health issues in school. That data will also tell you that the number of young people who experience homelessness who are also bullied in school. And so those two pieces of data for a school could tell us and give us a good, a really good sense of who might be at risk. And so again, that's, those are maybe two small examples, but two examples of these missed opportunities for where we all, as a social policy framework, can be working towards ending homelessness. And so the topology of youth homelessness prevention is across five key areas. And I'll go through them quickly, and I'll, I'll specifically emphasize the areas where you're going to be engaged and where you are engaged already. And, so there's structural prevention, systems prevention, early intervention, eviction prevention, and housing stability. And across that stream, there's primary prevention, secondary prevention, and tertiary prevention. All of these pieces flowing into this, this new frame towards an end to youth homelessness in Canada. And so structural prevention. You deal with structural prevention a whole bunch in your work. And so this is about where do we find these intersections between existing pieces of work that happen across governments and where that common linkage is for young people who find themselves homeless. In every poverty reduction plan that's in Canada, especially the ones that are in Alberta, they focus on a need for increased attachment to the labor market, increased education, increased training. All of those things should actually be designed specifically and focused on young people who are transitioning into adulthood. We know that there's, and I won't go through all of these, the need for an increase to the availability of affordable housing. There's really compelling evidence and data that tells us that, that housing insecurity for a young person or for a child, and I'm sure you see this front and center, is one of the biggest causes of homelessness for a young person that periods of instability and multiple moves, multiple changes, those multiple moves and multiple changes often mean to um, disengagement from school or changes in schools. And that then leads to all of these 
sort of trickle down effects for a young person becoming unattached to school. And that's an important thing. I'll talk about schools a lot in this present presentation. We also want to focus on the areas around structural prevention that focus on adverse childhood experiences, preventing them to begin with. So that would be, you know, individuals or young people who are involved in families that are victims of domestic violence, um, or young people who are involved with the child intervention system, but then also focusing on how do we, and this is where you come in, social inclusion for young people. I think I use this in, in, in Michael and I briefing about this, this opportunity to present to you. I talked, I used the example of in-school mentoring a number of times and how critically important in-school mentoring programs are in ensuring social inclusion for young people. Feelings of being needed or wanted or included or engaged in the, in the broader school atmosphere. So then we get to systems prevention. So what we know that there are public systems that need to be reformed to prevent youth homelessness. There are some big ones. The data from the Without a Home survey, the data that's coming out from point in time counts, the data that's coming out of youth shelters is telling us that young people who were involved in child intervention are overrepresented in the homeless population. So this is telling us that the system isn't meeting the exact needs of those young people, so they're blasting out of child intervention. If they don't blast out of child intervention and they're transitioned out of child intervention, those transitions don't happen as, as seamlessly as they should. At the end of the day, a transition between a, a youth system and an adult system should be seamless, but it isn't. There is a gap in there. There's a period of time where young people can fall into precarity, fall into homelessness, and we want to try to avoid that. But we also know that there's a need for us to be thinking differently about equitable access and benefits from public systems for young people who find themselves homeless. We know that in, in lots of ways, when child intervention isn't involved with a young person who is homeless because it's not a protection issue, all they need is a, is a level of income or a source of income to find some stability. Lots of young people can couch surf for a long time, but if they can't couch surf any longer, they need some support from a broader system to remain stable. And if that means damage deposits or first month's rents or getting them on their feet or at some level of stabilization, I think we have a duty and a responsibility to ensure that we provide all the necessary opportunities for young people to find that stability. But then also, we need to improve young people's experiences and outcomes in public systems. We know that public systems are heavily burdened, caseloads are extremely high, and so interactions with young people who are involved in public systems are probably low, and so our awareness of their risks, but also their assets are very low as well. And so we need to think differently about how those public systems can be reformed to ensure young people get the best services possible. Within all of the systems prevention work, we need to be thinking about also, as I talked about earlier, this need for us to be continually engaging with young people to address their concerns. Always engaging back with that client. It happens in government, but it doesn't happen enough in government. And I know community organizations are really good at it. I've seen really important examples of how community organizations have continued to engage young people in design or program enhancement or program refinement to best meet the needs of those young people. And we can take lots of examples from how community organizations work 
to then better respond and better influence public big public systems to be able to support young people. And to the point about missed opportunities and gaps, we need to address the, the siloed thinking around government departments, funding systems, but also the nonprofit sector. We know that, and I know firsthand, I, I've been in lots of communities where, where an organization will serve a young person because that young person shows up at their door as opposed to ensuring that there's a warm handoff to an organization who's best suited to support that young person versus just serving them because they're at their door. So there's integration and alignment opportunities across this system in this sector. Early intervention, this is where you come in. This is where I'm gonna use some examples around, around the work that you're doing. And in an ideal state, this is, this is an illustration of how we would intervene early with young people and that they're young, young people who uh, present a risk of homelessness and then require some level of support to be supported back to live with caregivers, if possible. We know that that system of care and that work requires a level of case management, a level of coordinated entry and a level of integrated services that supports that young person to remain in that family unit but we also know that family unit needs support in lots of reasons and in lots of ways there's when families break down those families break down because sometimes they're out of solutions so how do we equip families with solutions to ensure those families can remain intact i think any plan to address youth homelessness needs to think about families as part of the solution to youth homelessness versus the problem because there are ways for us to intervene earlier and then we get into program areas that are really engaged in how we intervene early. And schools are an obvious place. And we know that there are interventions that exist within schools that are doing really important work, in-school mentoring being one of the examples. But we're also seeing from other jurisdictions the importance of really early intervention, so really upstream activities within schools that are really intentional that can determine or assess risk of homelessness for young people. The best example is in Australia, and it is called the Geelong Project. And Geelong is an early intervention program in schools that, much like in school mentoring, views schools as a community hub versus just a place of learning, and equips schools with the resources they need to be able to respond to a young person who's at risk. On top of that, they have the tools they need to, to support a family who is at risk as well. And so it very much becomes a place, a hub mentality versus a school mentality when supporting young people and families. And so as we think about school-based early intervention and enhancing family and natural supports, this is where you live. This is where you find yourself. This is your this is your component of the social policy framework with respect to youth homelessness prevention. And the work that's happening with traditional mentoring programs, the work that's happening around school-based mentoring programs is so critical. And as I've had conversations with the United Way of Edmonton, for example, United Way of Calgary, and the work that they're doing for All In For Youth, and the work that's focused on ensuring high school completion. So one of the goals is to ensure as many young people as possible complete high school. 
Now, traditionally, if you were to look at that data for young people completing high school, those young people would be young people who would have a level of risk for homelessness. And so I've often encouraged them to think about that outcome a bit differently. Not only do you want to ensure high school completion for young people, but maybe you should start measuring preventing homelessness for those young people. And I would encourage that in our, in our, our sphere of mentoring programs, and there's so many of them in the province, maybe we should think of not only the number of young people who were matched, but potentially the opportunity for us to have, to have prevented or avoided or intervened early enough with that young person to have avoided a homeless experience. I know how engaged you all are with not just that match, that young person or that child, but how engaged you are with that family. And so placing a lens towards risk and where the bigger system will then end up breaking down for that young person or their family is a really important step. And so I think this is, I think this is where, this is where I got most excited when I was talking to Michael was that um, there, are, there are existing systems at work that are doing these things to ensure young people are properly supported. And it's a matter of us finding those integration and those alignment opportunities. And so the family and natural supports, I think about big brothers, big sisters matches that have lasted for an extremely long time, probably much longer than the, than the big brother or big sister match ever thought it would. And how that person becomes a natural support for, for a child or a young person when things don't go well. And this, I think it's the best example I have because I try to draw on personal experience when I talk about examples around family and natural supports to think about where you fit within this work. And I think it's really important. The underlying approach to enhancing family and natural supports is to ensure that there's people and, and individuals in a young person's life that can increase their quality, their sense of belonging, security, hope, and I think someone who relies on them when problems emerge. And I think, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm looking forward to the dialogue about and, and maybe confirmation of where you fit within this, because I think this that's, that mentoring is, is probably the key here. And, and there's been lots of push towards traditional mentoring programs for young people who find themselves homeless. And I think there's an emerging place where we need to think about having that conversation. And, you know, the school-based intervention work and the early intervention work, I, I, can, I can blaze through this because I talked about some of it, but this is, this is where young people first find themselves at risk. Every young person who finds themselves homeless was once in school. And so we have an opportunity and a responsibility to support schools better to ensure that those young people are properly supported. Sorry, that was an extra slide. Pretend I didn't put that in there. Shelter diversion is an important place that we're that we're leading towards, and that we're seeing shelters adopt this this um, no exits into homelessness philosophy, but also this approach to do you need, really need to be here? There's work that happens at the front end of most youth shelters in Canada, where a young person presents themselves at a shelter, and work begins immediately with a family, and engaging with that that family to determine if there's an opportunity for that young person in the family to be re reunited. And so we know that avoiding shelter experiences also decreases risk of homelessness um, because 
a, a shelter environment isn't the best environment for a young person who's new to homeless, homelessness. There are often um, lots of lures for young people in shelters, especially around victimization. And so that's, that's an important place to start this early intervention experience. But then also, how do we divert young people from ever experiencing a shelter again? And so that speaks to, to this increased housing need or housing stock for young people. And, and we know that, that within shelters, we need to adopt this client-centered approach, but also the same kinds of approaches you have with engaging with big brothers or big sisters matches or littles and engaging with a full family. So how do we support that? We also need to think differently about how do we reward service providers for focusing on prevention and rapid rehousing as a service priority. You know, lots of shelters in the province are funded with a number of heads in beds. So they, they get funding based on the per capita number of people in their shelter. And I believe this we need to flip that completely on a side. We need to fund those youth shelters, the number of young people that, have, that they've diverted from shelter are supporting outside of shelter and then the number of young people they've stably housed out of shelter. Um, and that's part of the challenge with, I think, which has created this, this need, this shelter-based housing philosophy in that, you know, these young people are funded to stay at the shelter um, versus exit or avoid. So, so lots of work to do here. These housing-led supports are the same kinds of supports that you would engage in um, with respect to ensuring matches stay matched and doing everything you can to wrap that match around, or wrap supports around that match. You can think of a number of examples where matches are starting to fail or, or break down, and the work that you do to support not only the mentor, but that young person to keep that match happening. We know that there's also a need for, for rapid rehousing and, and a need for a broader housing continuum. And so we're seeing an emergence of, of housing that's focused on a host homes philosophy. So in lots of ways, it looks a bit like foster care and where, young, where families or homeowners open up their homes to young people to stay there. And they're supported financially to do that. Uh, and as part of a, there's a bit of a mentoring community with respect to those families and those those hosts, and but that again is is this way to divert young people from traditional shelter into stable housing with a different level of support, and that's really critically important. And knowing you know knowing our housing markets in Alberta and other provinces where there is a, a lack of affordable housing, and so. We also know that there are lots of empty homes or half empty homes out there and people wanting to give support. And so this host homes thinking has really emerged over the last number of years and, and taken off. There's really compelling evidence to around evictions prevention and how do we predict the risk that individuals face in losing their housing and how do we support them to remain housed to the point that I made earlier around the risks and that families face in having their young people or having children be part of housing insecurity or multiple housing moves, which creates multiple school moves. How do we ensure that that can do an end to, to broad evictions can happen? And how do we better support and predict those individuals that are at risk of losing housing? And so we need to not only strengthen laws and legislation protecting tenants, but we also need to provide 
tenants and homeowners with really good advice and support to be able to advocate for themselves. Um, you know, oftentimes the housing evictions result because of a lack of awareness of the of the, the the legal support that they can get and the representation they can have in to ensure their housing they can remain housed and and that's part of the, the this broad piece of evidence that's coming out around around targeted targeted evictions prevention work that's happening in communities and if there is evictions that happen we need to have really timely and targeted crisis intervention so how do we ensure that those families or those individuals don't fall into homelessness and are, and are housed rapidly. And so um, this, this, this stabilization, stabilization work is key also for young people who don't understand their rights and how they need to function within a new tenant environment. I think about the number of young people who we've housed who are 18 years old and, um, and aren't aware at all that they have rights as a tenant. And so, so we need to do more work in this area. And the work that's happening across Canada so you've probably heard, you know, Alberta is very much a leader around housing first and with the introduction of the 10 year plan in 2009 being housing first focused. Uh, the term and the language is out there has been out there for a long time and Alberta is a really clear leader internationally around this work and and we've taken that housing first philosophy and built a housing first for youth focused philosophy philosophy and and really looking to disseminate that across Canada as well on, on ways to house young people despite risk in housing and then support them. You know, it goes against every, every thought, but again, it's, it's sometimes how we function. Um, get everything in order and then we'll house you versus get housing, get stabilized, and then we'll start to work incrementally on the issues that you need to resolve. And that's the focus of Housing First for Youth. And it's growing. It's it's it as well has a growing body of evidence that is is taking a new shape to respect to how do we support young people out of shelter in Canada. And so this idea that we can, in lots of ways, return it, if a young person presents themselves as homeless, return them home if possible, provide them with supportive housing, support them through transitional housing, but also find them independent living this is the continuum we need to create across this, this landscape for young people. And lots of communities are striving towards this. It's challenging. It's, an, it's, it's a tough space to be in. But this is, the, this is how we demonstrate uh, real choice and voice for young people as well. And that there are young people who may touch all four of those in their experience of homelessness. Um, because they maybe don't feel like they're ready for independent living. And they need to sort of move through these models of accommodation to ensure that they're properly ready for being living independently. And so by living independently, it doesn't mean just providing housing, you know, in lots of communities, the NIMBYism exists in lots of communities where we're looking to implement housing first for youth. And the first, the first conversation we have with communities is that it isn't housing only. This is housing, housing plus supports, supports that ensure, you know, increased health and well-being. There's an access to income and a, and a determination with respect to being focused on or re-entering the education system or finding employment or training. A level of complementary supports to the, to the points I was making earlier around, you know, connection to natural supports, but then also social inclusion. Like how do you be, how do you be good, a good community member? Those are important steps and lots of times these are things that young people haven't learned or experienced. And then this broad piece, 
of work that's happening is a, a duty to assist. And this is being adapted from the Welsh context, from the Wales context, and they have legislation that requires them to have a duty to assist young people who find themselves homeless, anybody who finds themselves homeless. And so it's a rights-based approach. And if you didn't know that um, the government of Canada has supported uh, a right to housing approach in Canada, so that's emerging. And you know, with a new federal election coming, that'll be a, a, a point of focus for the new election is how do we ensure that there's a right to housing for all individuals in Canada? But this duty to assist sort of builds on the point that young people told us that we're waiting too long to intervene. So we got to stop doing that. We need a responsibility for governments to intervene sooner and quicker and more effectively to ensure young people don't fall into that chronic homeless population that requires so much work to pull themselves out of. And so the duty to assist requires a statutory responsibility to prevent youth homelessness. So that's legislated, that means retooling the sector, that means funding prevention programs, that that means responding quickly to young people within 14 days and having those interventions be place-based and youth-centered. And so overall, what we land on is that, unfortunately, the realities around youth homelessness mean that these are causes and conditions of failed intersections that have happened across a lifespan for young people. And so there are recommendations within the roadmap that touch on all six of these sectors. So it touches on ways that the government in Canada can be enhancing the work that they're doing around youth homelessness and youth homeless prevention. Provinces and territories carry a large piece of this work. What do they need to do to enhance, shift the way they think about policies and those big systems that are driving young people into, into homelessness? Those provincial and territorial ministries and departments that have a responsibility that the data is telling us they missed an opportunity with a young person. The youth homelessness sector that has this, you know, has carried, carried the weight of, of responding to youth homelessness to this point. Communities and these organizations and communities that have a role in this and funders. How do we create flexibility and engagement with funders across Canada to think differently about how youth homelessness prevention can be prioritized, but then also how do we fund youth homelessness prevention or prevention at large? Now I'm going to open up to questions. Wow, uh, a lot there. Um, I'll, if you're interested in asking a question, please uh, type into the chat box now, and uh, we will uh, uh, again take your question. So I'll give you a minute to do so now. David, one of the pieces that uh, really stuck out for me when we were talking is about how often we're, we're talking about outcomes and evaluation in our mentoring programs about the impact we make on say academic achievement or health or resiliency. Um, yeah. I don't know how often, uh, how many programs are collecting data about uh, about prevention of, uh, of youth homelessness. So have you uh, have you seen any approaches or any questions or, or any evaluation models that would be helpful or, or that you would uh, you would want to see expanded or considered? You know, I haven't. This is sort of, you know, this is part of this work that we need to do around integration and and alignment. You know, I think we need to work really collectively as a as a broader sector 
to think about how we embed that within it. I know that there are there are examples. You know, I spoke to the to the Geelong example from Australia, and that's a that's an important one that we've drawn lots of examples from, and we're working towards bringing Geelong to Canada. But there, you know, the United the States, for example, has at, collect specific data with respect to homeless young people within schools and that data is accessible to um, the interagency council on homelessness in in the states to give us a sense of you know how many young people are at risk in schools or are concurrently experiencing homelessness in schools you know each school does a survey to some degree and i think there's a way for us to embed that within schools for one but then i guess it's just you know, for me, the examples I was giving around around outcome alignment, you know, I think it's it's up to us to think about the broader systems at play here and and where we want to align ourselves. And this and that's what this is this is where this is really exciting for me about this partnership that's emerging around the aligned thinking that needs to happen around the factors associated with mentoring and the positive outcomes of mentoring and how that then does at the end of the day prevent youth homelessness. Yeah. Um, so we're not seeing any uh, questions popping up at the moment. So I'll, I'll just uh, ask you, David, were there any closing thoughts or comments that you wanted to share? No, I, I, don't, I don't think there is. I was sort of like, I was like Youth Homelessness 101 in 34 minutes, which is a, probably a lot big bite to take. But I do, I do encourage uh, service providers and organizations in communities who aren't already attached or aligned or linked up with their, what would be considered the quote unquote youth homelessness serving system to maybe start to have those conversations. Um, and of course, uh, the Away Home Canada is keen to support those as well, but um, you know, the Alberta Mentoring Partnership and Away Home Canada will continue to have this discussion about where the where the broader areas of alignment exist for us and how we continue, continue to push this conversation forward and, and work towards a common outcome and that common outcome really is really resilient and young people who are well and and we can't do that in isolation so i appreciate everybody for joining us today and and for those who will be viewing this afterwards uh they'll show my contact information so if you have any questions please reach out excellent well well thank you so much again and uh we have one comment uh thank you again for the ex presentation David so uh, uh, big fans although they may not <laughs> they may be uh, just sitting there and letting letting the knowledge simmer so uh, yeah great. thank you so much David and uh, we'll we'll share your presentation and and we'll share the audio from uh, today on uh, our podcast so if you aren't already please subscribe to the Alberta mentoring partnership podcast the mentoring minute thank you and have a great day great take care